Thank you to the Independent Pharmacy Cooperative, better known as IPC, for sponsoring this episode. To learn more about IPC and their upcoming conference, visit www.ipcrx.com. That's www.ipcrx.com. You are listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. This is Pharmacy Crossroads with your host, community pharmacy business veteran, the road trip guy, Bruce Neeland. Community pharmacy is at a crossroads. Pharmacy owners across the country are evolving their pharmacy businesses and making a bigger impact on their communities. Bruce talks with the most innovative community pharmacy owners, pharmacy industry experts, and people who are passionate about the business of pharmacy and its impact on community healthcare. Pharmacy Crossroads is a member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. And now, here's our host, Bruce Neeland. Well, hello again. This is Bruce Neeland, your host for Pharmacy Crossroads. And today I'm excited to tell you that we have a wonderful guest, Mark Kenny, who is the Senior VP of the Independent Pharmacy Cooperative. Uh, Mark has responsibilities for IPC as it goes by for GPO relations, marketing, and today's topic of focus on for today is government affairs and and, uh, related issues with uh, legislative issues and progress in in that arena for independent pharmacies. And as I stumble through that, I'll stop uh, trying to elaborate anymore and say hello to Mark and uh, ask Mark to tell us just a little bit about himself. Where did he come from and what's he do? Yeah, thanks, Bruce. And and thank you for having me on the uh, podcast today. My name is Mark Kenny. I, I like to tell people I've been around independent pharmacy for many years. Uh, my father owned two pharmacies in a small town called Steamboat Springs, Colorado. And as many people probably can relate on this call, uh, I ran the cash register for the, both those businesses for many years growing up. Um, it must have made an impression, though, as I attended and graduated the University of Colorado uh, with a pharmacy degree in 1988. Uh, today, I advocate for independent pharmacy. And my wife and I, who is also a pharmacist, enjoy participating in medical mission trips all around the world. Wow, isn't that phenomenal? So Steamboat Springs, uh, that's a beautiful part of the country. You're you're no longer there. You're you're down in the Denver area now, right? Uh, that's correct. Uh, Boulder, Colorado, but I try to get up and do some skiing every chance I get. Well, uh, God bless you. So you've been around for a while and you're involved in a number of issues with IPC, but we want to focus on government affairs today. Uh, Like you, I've been in the business for a while. I run into government affairs experts and people and listen to them at trade shows. Um, It's a big job, but frankly, I, I don't know much about the nuts and bolts of what you do. So What's a typical day look like? What's your staff like? And how in heaven's name do you keep track of everything you have to do? Well, Bruce, let me give you a little bit of history first with IPC. Um, IPC had always supported advocacy efforts, um, but in 2006, they decided to have a more direct approach. 
And that's when they hired me to come on as a, a, and develop a department that would focus on federal government relations as well as state government relations. And um, our mission from that time forward was we didn't want to just report the news. Uh, we wanted to make it. Uh, as you're aware, a lot of organizations are just gathering you know, information uh, among different vehicles or avenues and then reporting it back out. Uh, we like to think that you know we're we're getting our hands dirty and we're in the trenches and and making a difference and passing laws and and working with state and federal agencies um, on meaningful regulations that will impact pharmacy in a very positive way. Um, a typical day is uh, we will be working with our contract lobbyists in both the states. Uh, we also uh, contract with a K Street for firm out in Washington, D.C. Uh, that firm is called Forbes Tate, and there are eyes and ears of what's going on at Capitol Hill. Uh, on a daily basis, uh, I receive reports from them um, literally daily on things that might be impacting independent pharmacy. Uh, we also have contract lobbyists out in the states and in certain states that were uh, trying to pass PBM regulation, provider status, some of the things that we'll probably be talking a little bit more about. Uh, and then we also have um, kind of experts in the industry. And um, Scott Pace, uh, we work with him and his firm. Um, we have uh, Vicki Cunningham, who headed up the uh, West, Virginia, West Virginia Medicaid uh, department and, and was responsible for um, uh, kind of fleshing out the spread pricing issue there. And, and they ended up being able to pay pharmacists I believe about $56 million and still save the state additional monies. Uh, so she's a, a tremendous expert. Uh, and then uh, Antonio Chacha um, from Three Axis uh, Advisors, uh, we worked with him very closely as well. And we think bringing that into the equation, uh, really not necessarily lobbying, but uh, educating people on what's happening out there, uh, that's really moved the needle a long ways. Uh, that's fascinating. And, and like I had supposed, it's a complex network of people and a, a large variety of issues. Um, and, and I love how you say you, you don't want to just report the news. You want to help make the news. And uh, and that's that's a that's a nice twist of phrase. So we, you know, we're, we don't want to focus on PBMs today, but we can't address this issue without talking about PBMs. PBMs and DIR fees are the 500-pound gorilla in the room. Anything top of the line going on there that you'd like to share real quick before we delve, in, delve into some other issues? Yeah, Bruce. In fact, uh, there's a lot going on right now. And with the Rutledge Supreme Court decision, uh, as well as Webby um, in, uh, coming out of North Dakota, um, while that case hasn't been uh, decided entirely yet, uh, we think that it will expand the scope of Rutledge. And, and since those two cases have come out, we've just seen a, an explosion of states' uh, regulation of PBM practices. And it's, uh, I, I can say that, you know, in, in the 
now nearly 30 years that I've been involved in, in government relations, uh, we're, we're seeing more done today or the last few years than, than in the you know, 30 years previous to that. So uh, those two decisions have really helped uh, us uh, pass some PBM regulation bills. Uh, and then on the DIR fronts, we have um, CMS 4192, which is a, a proposed regulation coming out of the agency out in Washington, D.C., uh, that would reform DIR fees. And while it's a welcome development, uh, that proposed regulation still has some work to do. Uh, we, we submitted public comments. They were due this Monday um, to the agency, kind of pointing out some of the shortfalls uh, within their proposed regulation. Uh, we'll probably see a promulgated final regulation around DIRs uh, come out uh, in the next 60, 90 days. Uh, with that said, I think the Biden administration is um, uh, really supportive of doing something that they can point to to uh, show that they impacted positively you know, um, prescription drug prices, especially for seniors. And so I fully anticipate that this uh, regulation will be finalized. Uh, in some some capacity, and I'm I'm hoping the agency uh, has listened to our concerns. And and for the interested but uninitiated, I guess in the DIR thing, that that is all centers around uh, 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 federal rules and regulations. The is there anything that the states can do to address DIR fees? Yeah, that's a great question. The we have seen states um, actually pass laws. And um, most of the DIRs reside in Medicare Part D today. So uh, the perception is that it's, it's uh, you know, a federal issue, uh, which it is predominantly today. Uh, but states have passed, and there's been a number just in the last uh, two years that have passed uh, DIR uh, restrictions and reform in the states. And as we start to see DIR fees kind of creep into the commercial space, uh, that's going to be really important. Interesting. Well, m moving on from that. So uh, when we did our prep call, one of the big pieces of news, which I found interesting, was uh, you say you've had some uh, conversations with the American Pharmacist Association and are working now with them on a on a project or two. Tell us a little bit about that and then just elaborate a little bit on collaborations uh you know, generically, who do you work with and how do you line up alliances to get things done? Right. And um, yeah, Scott has been just fantastic down at APHA. For, um, let me interrupt there. That's Scott Kenor, who's the new CEO of APHA. He's been on board about a year now. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. So yeah, go on. Um, yeah, Scott, and, and it's my understanding, it's actually been closer to two years, but he has really reached out to the independent uh, community. And uh, historically, we haven't had a partnership with APHA because quite honestly, there wasn't a emphasis on independent pharmacies and in, in our policy issues. I, I believe Scott's actually changed that. He's, he's reached out to us. Um, around provider status and other issues. And we are now uh, working very closely with them. And, and again, Scott's been fantastic to work with. 
and 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 that's a, a big powerful agent organization i mean it's a nice to have a group of that size uh working together with this isn't it no absolutely and we do um work with other groups as well certainly ncpa uh ongoing conversations with them and aligning you know our our efforts with theirs uh and nacds the chain pharmacies in many cases like provider status uh, there's common ground, and we try to work with them as well. Uh, other buying groups, we we work with also to make sure that we're we're all aligned. It's uh, Bruce. It's really important when you go into a state capital or up on Capitol Hill in D.C. that you know they're not hearing different stories. So to the greatest degree possible. We want to make sure that we're aligned with others, and um, and and this is a relationship business as well. Um, I think it's important for everyone to understand that you know um, advocacy is about relationships, and so not only with the elected officials, uh, but with other stakeholders in the industry. Well, and you know uh, that's probably a nice little segue to. Uh, uh, the Independent Pharmacy Conference, which is coming up in April, where you will be one of the featured speakers, is at least initiated by the Independent Pharmacy Cooperative, the organization for which you work, IPC, and both the meeting and the organization have the IPC initials. But you mentioned other, you know, working with other buying groups. It's my understanding that this meeting that you're doing in San Diego in April really is a collaborative effort between several of the buying groups. Uh, is that correct? And who else might be involved there that you could remember off the top of your head? I don't mean to put you on the spot, but what's going on out in California next month? Yeah, Bruce, we're really excited about the conference. Um, due to the pandemic last year, we had to go virtual, but this year we're going in person and bringing, um, again, not only IPC, as you mentioned, but some other groups, uh, AAPA, um, USAID pharmacies, and, and others. Um, uh, quite a few others will be participating. Uh, and we try to make it a, uh, it's, it's not necessarily about just independent pharmacy, uh, IPC, uh, but independent pharmacy. And it, it follows in the same vein as uh, government relations, uh, because uh, we're all in the same boat together, quite frankly. And, and if we can find uh, solutions to some of the problems that we're facing collaboratively, then you know, we're, we're all for that. And people sometimes say, well, you know, Mark, you, IPC spends a lot of time and resources on government relations. Uh, and yet, uh, you know, we we all benefit from that, and that's a true story. Uh, but IPC is committed to benefiting uh, independent pharmacy as a whole. Yeah, and 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 I thank you for that. And and like you say, it's uh, uh, I guess the cliche would be a, a rising tide helps all boats. So if you're successful in one area, it helps independent pharmacies, whether they're members of IPC or not. Right. That's correct. So let's jump forward into provider status. Um, I think PBMs and DIR fees would be kind of defensive measures for independent pharmacy, but if we're looking to the future and where we go from here, provider status is kind of the door opener for that. Where are we on that and why is that so hard? 
Yeah, Bruce, it, it has proven over the you know, last few years, uh, especially with Medicare Part B billings, um, difficult to get that, that status or authorization. I think there's been some pushback uh, on two sides. One is that uh, CBO uh, did at least a preliminary score that um, you know showed that it was going to be you know anywhere from six to ten billion dollars over ten years of additional costs to the government. Let, um, let me uh, for our listeners, CBO is the Congressional Budget Office, right? So keep going is, from there. That, that is correct. Yeah, um, keep going. And uh, the other piece of it is, I think the AMA, uh, American Medical Association, uh, they have been fairly protective of uh, what they believe is their turf and uh, have more more recently been very vocal about, um, you know, other providers not getting uh, the ability to bill for uh, for certain procedures and, and uh, medical interventions. So that's really been the two, I think, major obstacles for getting something passed. But what we have seen is out in the states, uh, a plethora of uh, laws being passed that will allow pharmacists to practice at the top of their license and get paid for it. And we've seen that in Ohio and Washington state. Uh, we're seeing it now in Michigan as well. Um, and across the country, Texas has passed some great laws down there. What we're seeing is the states, a lot of activity in the states that see the value of pharmacists, especially as we demonstrated it through the pandemic, where we were really uh, an important piece of, of uh, addressing the pandemic and, and working with uh, patients in our local communities. So it is, it is exciting. Um, Colorado also uh, passed recently this last year, a, a bill that would pay for Medicaid patients uh, for interactions um, or interventions as well. And so it's it's exciting. And the biggest piece of that, Bruce, is we're now starting to see in the commercial space, the private insurers be, becoming more interested and willing to pay pharmacies under uh, the drug benefit uh, th through uh, Equip and PQS, but also on the medical side and submitting CPT and E&M codes uh, to get paid for those office visits when, when they talk to patients about their chronic disease states. So I'm, I'm somewhat familiar with uh, prescribing birth control pills, um, but what else, what else is, is on the table in compensation or for in and with birth control pills, I don't know that pharmacists get a fee for diagnosing and prescribing. They just get to make money filling the prescriptions. Unravel that for me. What's what is this? What is the payment structure for, and what specifically is going on? Right. Well, in in many states now, and and you when you reference birth control, um, there was also smoking cessation and and. Um, you know, management of, of, uh, of weights and things like that, that, you know, were granted to pharmacies, but getting paid for it, you're absolutely right, was, was diff very difficult. Um, there weren't the systems in place to, to really allow for that, even though the law allowed pharmacies to do it. We specifically saw that out in California, but we are making progress with that. And when I talk about 
billing on the medical side, uh, these are actually just CPT codes like any other provider, physician, nurse, therapist would use in order to uh, bill for a consultation. So now we have evolved from you know, just the you know, birth control uh, piece to where when a patient comes in and they're on uh, or they have chronic disease states and on multiple medications, if we're counseling them, again, these are things that we have always done. Uh, we're just now going to get paid for it, which is really exciting. Uh, that is that is exciting. And it's just getting started. So, uh, you know, the the halo effect from COVID, I think, has opened a lot of doors for these conversations. Are you seeing that in 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 your daily work? Yeah, a- absolutely. I mean, the the you know, pharmacists, community pharmacies, were the heroes through the last couple of years in the COVID pandemic, and uh, uh, policymakers and elected officials all recognized the tremendous work that pharmacy put in. Um, uh, and, and serving those patients in those local communities. And there is a renewed interest in engaging pharmacists, again, to practice at the top of their license. Well, and mentioning COVID is the lead into to uh, test and treat. I love the slogan, where are we? And what, what do you think is going to happen in that battle here in the next year or so? Yeah, this is probably the next evolution or next step in provider status to where a pharmacist would be able to test for uh, a number of different uh, diseases, including COVID and influenza, uh, and based upon uh, results that could be delivered within you know, five, 10 minutes, uh, be able to then uh, prescribe uh, antivirals. Uh, for those patients. And it's uh, the, for those of you that saw this last week, the Biden administration announced that um, their, their test and treat initiative, that's initially just at clinic pharmacies, but we believe that a pharmacy that would enter into a um, collaborative practice agreement with a physician's office would be able to uh, do the test and treat as well. Uh, again, the AMA came out saying uh, being against it, so we, it's not you know, necessarily clear sailing, but uh, the two challenges around it right now today is actually getting the antiviral uh, agents, uh, which are difficult to come by, and, and then also getting uh, appropriate reimbursement for uh, for that. And so even though we could prescribe the, the item um, and dispense it, uh, a lot of the insurance companies have said that they will just pay for it as a, a normal prescription with a dispensing fee of anywhere from you know 50 cents to maybe a couple dollars. Uh, this, this takes a little more than that. This takes a look at the history, you know, pharmacists have to take a, a look at the history of the patients, and, uh, you know, it, it's been estimated that it will take anywhere from 30 to 60 minutes to do this appropriately. And, and obviously a, a dollar uh, dispensing fee wouldn't cover those efforts. Well, yeah. And, and thus is the, the status of pharmacy at the moment. With, with the COVID test and treat, at, at least the, the idea is that the testing part of that, uh, uh, the simple uh, 
uh, rapid uh, antigen test, or is it going to require machinery or new investment in technology to do those tests? No, I don't think so, Bruce. The you know the antigen test is actually pretty um, pretty accurate, and um, I, I think we're also seeing on the the PCR tests that um, they they're coming out pretty quickly. Um, as well as far as results. So within a day, anyway, we would be able to uh, have that information back, um, make the diagnosis of a positive you know, COVID uh, infection, and then be able to prescribe drugs that same day. Many times, again, with, the, uh, with both tests, you know, within, you know, maybe when that patient's still in the pharmacy, and that's a exactly what the Biden administration is trying to get to. They believe that that is a real good solution moving forward to, uh, uh, you know, COVID being uh, really endemic at this point. Well, and yeah, and rapidity of getting the medication is key to the effectiveness of it. So it just makes sense. But uh, I guess I've been around long enough to know that making sense doesn't necessarily uh, win in the policy debate. So uh, just as a, as a capstone here, we've talked a little bit about PBMs, DIR fees, test and treat, provider status. Is that all you need to worry about in your, in your job as a government affairs guy? What, what, what other issues are on your, on your calendar? Yeah, and we the the list is long, Bruce. The uh, we have compounding uh, issues through FDA, three forty B. We're monitoring that very closely and and working with HRSA and HHS on that, uh, making sure that in fact you know our pharmacies can can continue as contract pharmacies under the three forty B program and service those underserved areas across the country. The you know healthcare deserts as they're referred to um, many times our pharmacies are are you know the best uh, case scenario for people in those areas uh, to get access to a healthcare provider and um, so we're always looking you know to promote and extend that as well um, but there's you know as things come up uh, a couple of years ago DQSA which was a federal law on uh, track and trace and what the requirements would be for the entire distribution system all the way from the manufacturer down to the pharmacists and pharmacy, um, we, I said in many meetings out in Washington, D.C., making sure that, in fact, uh, independents were going to be put in the same position as chains and others. DCSCA, is that the acronym for track and trace legislation? Yeah, it's the Drug uh, Supply Chain Security Act, and that's... Um, uh, is now being uh, implemented throughout the industry. There has been some pauses put on it by the agency, uh, but next year um, there's supposed to be item uh, level uh, track and trace. And uh, again, initially when they were talking about that bill, it was going to put independence, I think, in a worse position um, than uh, the chain pharmacies. And we had to make sure we were at the table sitting down with Senate finance um, members uh, and staff to make sure that they understood, um, you know, how that would impact small business pharmacies. And the good news is they got it and made the necessary changes. 
Well, and, and again, that's kudos to you and the collaboration of people that you work with. So we're, we're, I want to wrap up with, I, I guess, a, a plea and perhaps some instruction and explanation. This is complicated stuff. It certainly requires people like you who can focus on it to work in this arena. But what can a typical single store independent pharmacy owner do to help you win some of these battles? Yeah, great question. And the answer is a lot. Um, the you know, advocacy, as I mentioned before, is about relationships. And if uh, that pharmacy in that local community can get to know their elected officials, uh, that goes a long ways in being able to tell our story. And while I can go in and say I represent 2,500 independent pharmacies, um, that's meaningful, but not as meaningful as that local constituent uh, in that local community uh, serving those patients. And so I would ask you know, everyone listening and, and get others involved as well to go out and, you know, just have a conversation. And, and maybe that's with their staff, their local staff, and that's fine too. Um, but grow that relationship. And the one thing I have seen, Bruce, over uh, my time is um, we've had elected officials that were voting against us on every single piece of legislation we put in front of them. And for for a reason that those uh, independent pharmacists in those local communities actually invited them into their pharmacy so they could see what they did with those patients. Um, there, there have been many times a shift to where it's 180 degrees to where they weren't, they would not vote on a single issue with us now vote with us all the time, even to the degree I've had, uh, elected officials come up to me and say, Mark, how do you want me to vote on this piece of legislation? And it all centered around that relationship they had with their local independent pharmacy. Uh, that's powerful. The, 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 you know, the, the, the comment that I have made on many occasions when this topic comes up is the PBMs have the money, but independents have the people. And, you know, if, if we can get 20,000 independent pharmacies reaching out to, like you say, even just the staff members in their local congressional districts, um, that that goes a long ways towards combating the money that the PBMs have with their lobbying forces. Um, and and the, the big battle, in, in my view, and I'm not educated on this, but is the perception that pharmacists, all they do is put pills and bottles. And, and the more we can help people understand that it's the pill is part of the process, but the relationship, the education, the support, the ability to coordinate uh, the pills that you take, the ability to communicate with physicians and correct mistakes that have been, you know, I mean, th this is much more complicated than pulling a bottle off the shelf and counting by fives and and putting a label on it and and people don't understand that and that's part of what happens when you get them in the pharmacy and you show them all what you do yeah bruce that's exactly right and it's very powerful 
um, we just need to engage to a greater degree. Well, and and it's it's not that hard to do, is it? I mean, if a, if a pharmacist wants to host a, a congressional delegation, I mean, they don't need to hire a meeting planner, do they? What do they, what do, they do? Yeah, it, it's actually very simple. Um, you can call up their their staff. They have staff that specifically deal with the, these type of events, and let them know that you're you know having a, a health event uh, at the pharmacy, and we'd like for the senator or representative to come down and spend a little bit of time. Uh, we'll have you know it, it helps to get the media there. Um, you know, the local newspaper is all it takes. And that's a big draw for, you know, the elected official. Uh, they want to be seen, you know, out in their communities and, and dealing with health care, which is a major, you know, issue and concern. So uh, literally just uh, picking up the phone and having that conversation. Uh, IPC can certainly help with that uh, if, you know, if, if need be. Uh, we do events across the country and we can be a, a resource, uh, at least an instructional resource on how to do it. Uh, but it really doesn't take much more than picking up the phone and, and making that call. And uh, what I have heard as a little bit of pushback, uh, which couldn't be further from the truth, is, well, Mark, you know, who am I to you know call my you know uh, uh, senator uh, and ask for a, a meeting? Um, as it turns out, that you know they're, they're hoping for that. They they see that as a, a real positive. They want to be interacting, and they can't know everything. By the way, uh, you know they 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 know a little about a lot of things, um, and that's how they vote. And if they just know a little bit about pharmacy, it probably doesn't end well for for us. And so, being that educational piece, and if they rely, if you develop that relationship to where they rely upon you, where they're calling you, and in many cases that that is the case, um, I get calls all the time from legislators across the country saying, "Mark, tell me about this." And and yes, politics sometimes derail the policy decisions, but most often. If they understand our issues and understand what we do, we're going to win. Well, and you give me the opportunity to at least uh, make a comment. I, I am coming to the Independent Pharmacy Conference in San Diego. I want to say April 17th through the 20th, but it, I can't know for sure. IPCRX.com, www.ipcrx.com, and you'll find information on the meeting. The point is, is that I'm on a, a, a bent to try to convince independent pharmacists that one of their major competitive advantages is their ability to interact with the local media. And just this week, I got a, a nice email from a pharmacist in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, major market area, where I had sent out a, 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 an invite for them to contact their local media and talk about this new Civic uh, $30 insulin. And he had a film crew from the local TV station come out and interview him yesterday. Um, and, and the point being is things come up in the media or in the news all the time that revolve around drugs and pharmaceuticals and the, you know, health care. And the local media wants to talk to somebody local, but the Walmart manager can't, the CVS manager can't talk to the local media, but the independent pharmacy owner can. 
And, uh, you know, to dovetail that opportunity with bringing a congressman or a, a senator in, uh, even a state representative, and um, alerting the local uh, newspaper that you're doing that, uh, that's a win-win for everybody. It's a win for the elected official, and, and it's a win for the pharmacy. So uh, that's my two cents on working with the local media. It's a major overlooked opportunity by way too many uh, pharmacy owners. Hey, Mark, our time's up. Do you have any parting shots or requests that you want to mention to our, our listeners? Yeah, Bruce, I would just say that, you know, the momentum is on our side right now, uh, more so than ever. As I mentioned, uh, we need to keep the pressure on. We need to make sure that everyone understands the role that independent pharmacy can play in those local communities and through these pandemics. Um, and now's the time. Uh, if you haven't been involved in the past, get involved. It's very important. Uh, it'll make sure that our profession is viable in the future. Well, we're lucky to have people with your skills uh, fighting the battle on our side. Thank you for what you do. And um, with that, I'm going to sign off and say, hey, that's it today, folks, for another episode of Pharmacy Crossroads, where our goal is to help independent pharmacy owners do more and be better. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Pharmacy Crossroads. If you're interested in talking with Bruce, please contact the show. Visit PharmacyCrossroads.com. We look forward to hearing from you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.